Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Hi, I'm Bralade Koroye in Menancho. I am the African-American Affinity Group Lead of the Society of Women Engineers. I'm also a Technical Service and Development Engineer at Dow, Inc. You are welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by Linda Thomas and Andrea Taffe both technical leaders in the aerospace industry and AVID SWE members. So this Black History Month of February, we will be discussing breaking barriers, thriving on the technical track with these two wonderful ladies here with me today. So thanks for joining us today, Linda and Andrea. Thank you for having us. I would like you to briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners. Um, Andrea? Hi, um, Andrea Taff, and my career started out by graduating from Prairie View A&M University and going straight into the aerospace industry, starting at Boeing Aerospace. I've worked for various companies, such as Bell Helicopter and Lockheed Martin. Currently, I am a certification engineer at uh, Collins Aerospace. Although I've been a member off and on for, um, of, of SWE, uh, I am really taking a really big role right now in our company, developing a uh, women's coalition group here. Thank you. That sounds interesting. Nice to meet you, Andrea. Nice to meet you. Linda. Hi, and thank you for inviting me to speak. My name is Linda Thomas. I recently retired as a technical fellow with the Boeing Company in Seattle, Washington. I spent my entire career in the military side of Boeing. I did start out working briefly in the aluminum industry after my graduation from Howard University with a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering. I was laid off and then I came to Boeing after a short hiatus doing some studies. And I started out as a materials and processes engineer, then spent some time in the safety and environmental world and then I transferred into system safety where I spent the majority of my career. My last job, I was a chemical risk assessment lead and my role there was to look at domestic and international regulations to see how they would affect product design. My tagline is the decisions made in engineering and business drive safety and environmental performance. And I've been involved in SWE for over 20 years and I've taken on leadership roles at the section level all the way to the board of directors. And currently I'm a SWE senator. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction, Linda. I am just honored to be in both of your presence today because of the great work you do in the industry, as well as in diversity and inclusion, especially for women of color. So 
It's Black History Month of February, where we get to reflect on the achievements and the challenges of Black people in the United States. And we have so many historical figures to be inspired by. Who would you say yours is and why? Some of my inspirations for science started out very early. First, it was the astronauts. I thought space exploration had always been a fantasy for me. I didn't want to be an astronaut, but I did want to help astronauts. And I got that in my career. Also, I had local inspirations. My parents weren't engineers, but they had friends who were engineers and scientists. So I got a lot of my inspiration from interacting with these people. Yeah. The environment is one of the key contributors to the aspirations of children, as many um, studies have found. So thank you for sharing that, Linda. Andrea? Yes, I agree with, uh, with Ms. Thomas. Uh, my inspiration started off with my grandfather, who was in the Air Force, and we did go to uh, quite a few air shows when I was a kid. So I got the exposure very, very early on to the aerospace industry. Uh, later on, various people, such as Dr. Mae Jemison and even artists, uh, gave me my inspiration because engineering is not just about the technical side, but it's about the artistic side as well. That is inspiring. And for me, I mean, reading the book, Hidden Figures, and if any of you have seen the movie, take it a step further and read the book because that book is just so revealing and mind-blowing and, of course, um, with fewer <laughs> editorials like the actual movie. And one of the ladies said that she met Martin Luther King one day and he told her she was acting in a, um, I think, Star Trek, one of the Star Trek series at that time. And she was the only woman of color on the set and in a leading role. And she was thinking of quitting. And he told her, don't think about it because you represent us there. It's important what you do. So I want you ladies to know it's important what you do, and we consider it an honor to have you here with us. So leading on, we want to know what initially sparked or inspired your interest in STEM. And I know you've alluded a little to that, um, Linda, but beyond that, how did you progress in developing that spark? When I was in elementary school, my teacher had an experiment to do wet bulb temperature and I had to go out in the schoolyard every day. No one else wanted to do it. And I was really fascinated by that. And that was one of those sparks that said, you know, I can do this every day. And I made a conscious attempt at my uh, elementary school that I wanted to be a scientist. And at the same time, I started music lessons. I said, oh, I could be a scientist and a musician. So I focused the rest of my elementary and secondary school work to include science math and music. That is great. You know, one of the beauties of the American education system is how that you can have a double major or a minor in something. And in my career, I've seen people, we've hired people who had dual majors in music and engineering, psychology and engineering. So that's really interesting. And certainly another way to encourage young women and girls to pursue a career in engineering and still have their passions outside of work included as well. All right, Andrea, what about yourself? I believe it was um, when I was eight years old, I saw the movie Star Wars. And 
I think from even talking to some of my peers throughout my career, Star Wars really put something in a lot of kids, um, especially me being from the inner city, and I had never seen anything remotely like it ever. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, it was amazing to see someone who represented the Disney and Star Wars um, fields uh, in at the last week conference. But for me, it was totally all about Star Wars. <laughs> Absolutely love it. I like that. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. I will go a step further. So we've gone from when you were first initially, you know, interested in the field of engineering, and now you're a full-fledged engineer with many achievements um, on your belt. Please, could you share some of your proudest moments, some of your proudest, uh, your greatest achievements in technology development? For me, I, I think one of the most, one of the things that I'm most proud of is every time that I get on a Boeing 737, even an increased gross weight, uh, or a 737 IGW as we call it, um, when you when you get onto the plane, the doors actually lock, and the door stops that where the the, the passenger door goes into. That door stop is my design, and it has not changed in the entire time that uh, Boeing has had that aircraft. And so I'm very, very proud that that is my design on how on that, that door stop. I've worked on so many exciting projects in my career, uh, the 737 um, Airbus aircraft, Lockheed Martin fighter jets and such. There's a lot to be proud of, but something that I can actually call my own Whenever I get onto an aircraft, I'm thinking, hey, that doorstop is mine. <laughs> I, I love the ownership of it because as women, many times we're like, okay, uh, I've done some work, but women don't think to articulate the value that they bring and to um, frame it in a story that can be told to people so that people begin to know what the contributions that we bring to the table are. Thanks for sharing that, Andrea. So, Linda, what about you? I'll think about Andrea's invention every time I get onto a 737 I know. airplane I know. <laughs> now. So, the things I design, however, don't, I don't, they're not passenger jets in the civil sector. Everything I worked on was in military. And my proudest technical achievements had to do with more of diversity of thought. Than, act, than an actual design. In my last role, when I was looking at domestic and international regulations, I found ways to help people understand the connection between product design and its downstream effects from an environmental and safety perspective. And convincing people about using environmentally preferred materials, also helping the technology community to find those substitutes. And that's what I'm pretty proud of. I've worked several projects uh, across domestic and international regulations. Thanks for sharing that, Linda. And Linda, just to flesh on your answer a little bit. So I decided to research the, you know, just generally looking at Boeing and I found that the path to being a technical fellow is pretty tasking and the whole process is pretty rigorous. How did you get through that process and how did you just keep going and how did you achieve this great feat? 
because it, it's I think it's something to be proud of. I wanted to be a technical fellow for a long time. I had been going long enough to see the birth of the program, and I made up my mind then that this was a goal I wanted to achieve. So I positioned myself to find opportunities to be visible and be recognized as a problem solver and also looking for innovations that would help recognize me as someone that is worthy of being in the fellowship. Yes, the process is long, it's arduous. It took me three times to make associate technical fellow. However, after I made ATF, I set my goals to being a full fellow and also position myself to find opportunities to be visible and present with um, industry, um, my government customers, and people within Boeing. And it was not as difficult to make technical fellow as it was for making the associate technical fellow level. And it only took me one time to make technical fellow. And I'm really proud of that because I know it's a very arduous process and I mastered that the art of the interview. And that's something I'll talk about later about self-promotion and also how can we better position ourselves for those opportunities. That is really great. I like that you say I was proud of myself because many times as women, we tend to think of the things that we weren't able to achieve, you know, and beat ourselves down for that. But you just articulated something that you're proud of. And though it took you three times to get to the first step, the the rest was, well, it wasn't a breeze, but <laughs> it, it became easier. So thank you for sharing that. I guess one of the encouragements I can take from what you said is when you set your goals, the first steps can be the hardest. But beyond that, you can build on the foundation you already laid. But thanks for sharing that. And Andrea, I know that you are on author an authority in certification and things that must have taken you several exams <laughs> and um, qualifications to get you there. How did you decide to amass all of that experience? Actually, uh, the to become a certification engineer, one has to go through their career as a designer, as a process engineer, as uh, sometimes even a program manager, all of which I've done in my career. Uh, the thing about this is, is that you have to be familiar with uh, the the federal aviation regulations. You have to be familiar with your customers, um, the, the their requirements that they have, and very much like Ms. Thomas said, uh, you have to be aware of where your product is flying. You have to be aware of what conditions your product is going to be in. So what what environmental conditions that your product is going to be in. So. These types of things, you have to make sure that you understand all of this before you entertain being a certification engineer. I've worked, I work very, very closely with Boeing and with Airbus uh, on their personal regulations, on their OEM regulations, as we call it. Um, and their regulations are very, very different. Some of them are similar, but some of them are not. And we have to make sure that our products that we produce here at Collins Aerospace meets not only the federal aviation regulations, but also meets the our customers' regulations as well. 
on top of all of that, we have our own company regulations uh, that we have to meet as well. So with all of that said, it helps uh, to have the background of being a designer, choosing the materials, knowing how the materials react in certain situations and environments. So with all of that said, I've always wanted to be a cert engineer because it allows me to stay in one spot and monitor what the engineers are doing and how they're designing their products and help them along as much as I can. Great. Yeah, we all need that person to hold us to the standards that our products are should adhere to. So I appreciate the work that you do. All right. So you've both described careers that have been largely technical. And I like that you spoke about your design and project and program management experience because the best technical leaders have been around in their careers and are able to utilize all of those experiences to deliver um, technical guidance and mentorship. So what, why do you think that women, and especially women of color in STEM, are considered or thought to be more managerial than technical? Because when I speak with most kids who are aspiring to be engineers, that's usually their first thought is to be technical. And then you get into the workforce, which is great. The management track is great. But do you think that women are typically cast to be in those roles or the environment maybe drives them to that role instead of the technical leadership role? So can you share with me what your thoughts are on that? I honestly believe that women in general are not sought out as as a source of information. There's a tendency to perceive women as even technical women, as worker bees and the fact that we can be quote unquote placed in those roles, sometimes even physically placed in an office floor plan rather than being uh, the go-to source for technical sources and innovators. I don't know how we're going to get past this. I know that there's been great, um, great uh, strides in some companies with their diversity and inclusiveness programs and whatnot. But I think that this is how a lot of women, especially women of color, are thought to be more managerial because they're placed there rather than technical. Yeah. And of course, we're going to have a question following this to tell us how, what you, your thoughts are on what the possible solutions are. But let's hear from Linda first. Linda, what, what are your thoughts on this? I totally agree with what Andrea said about women of color being perceived as being worker bees and not really known to be uh, subject matter experts. I too experienced that. I think the situation is grounded in implicit bias and women of color have to be cognizant about their decorum working around other people so they have effective communication skills. And sometimes that's misinterpreted as being good managers and that's how I think they get tracked. But if you wanna be a subject matter expert, that's not a desirable generalization. And I found that being intentional about my desire to be a technical person, I had to do that a lot in my career. And it took me about seven years to make associate technical fellow. And when I did that, I looked for assignments that put me in problem solving and analysis rather than project management. And that 
pretty much helped me propel myself to the technical track. And I also advise women who want to stay on the technical track, be intentional, document it in your performance management reviews with your managers. Also seek out mentors and sponsors that will help you get there. All right. So in saying all of these things, what kinds of obstacles have you faced as a female um, technical leader in engineering and how did you overcome them? Ooh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can pick one. I know sometimes some are more overt than covert, but you could just pick um, one or a couple and just there are there are definitely workarounds that you have to do uh, as being a woman in technology. Sometimes uh, you work with people who are not as receptive to some of the things that a woman has to say. So you can go to someone else and uh, get their opinion. And sometimes you bring that person in in order to get your your ideas across. And it's unfortunate that you have to do that with some people, but that is actually a reality. When you can have another person come in agreement with you to a particular person who's not necessarily quote unquote, trying to hear what you have to say, you have to, you have to be able to, that's just another form of communication that you'll have to do is, is having someone, sometimes you literally have to find someone who looks like that person in order for that person to hear you. It's, it's terrible, but that's one of the things that you've, you've got to do. And it pushes not only yourself forward as far as communication, but it also pushes the project along because if the project stalls out and you're the only person, especially woman or woman of color, then that is with, with the technical information that they need to push that, that project forward, they're going to look at you and, and say, you know, why is this project not moving forward? Well, let's have a talk about it. Let's communicate with it. And let's bring somebody in that you'll be more willing to listen to rather than um, have the project stall out altogether. So that's how I've worked around it. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Thanks for those tips, Andrea. Linda, (laughs) how about yourself? Yes, I also agree with Andrea about being more proactive in problem solving. And I also wanted to prevent myself from being a modern day hidden figure. We talked about worker bees earlier, and it's more like work behind the scenes, but not receiving visibility or credit for it, or being overlooked for someone else that could have been doing that work that you're doing behind the scenes. So my strategy has been to keep myself visible. So when I was at work, I would either write or help write technical papers with other people. I've co-authored so many times internally. And I would discuss technical ideas on company forums. And I also documented my achievements on my company performance reviews. And one of my sweet friends also suggested to talk about technical issues on social media, like on LinkedIn. And I found that to be pretty beneficial because that gets a lot of more visibility and people say, hey, this person is a subject matter expert. They understand this technology. So I find that to go over that obstacle, it's really more of a self-promotion. And I know that can be very difficult, but it takes practice. Just like when I'm on stage, I practice so I can have my best performance. 
So I take those same principles into engineering. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I've heard some company executives talk about now is that they don't teach the soft skills in engineering as much as they should. <laughs> Actually, so, but like in many cases, there isn't any course on collaboration. But when you sit down and think about it, when you go into the workforce, engineering is not a solo sport or uh, even inventors don't just sit down by themselves in a lab and come up with something great. All the greatest inventors had a large team and they all worked together to make the dream possible. So thank you for sharing that. So putting as much practice into the soft skill side or into packaging your profession is just as important as the technical expertise you bring to your work. Okay, so tell me about SWE. How did you get involved with SWE and why should anyone get involved with SWE? Linda. So I was involved with SWE when I was in college. So I took a pretty long break until about 1997 when one of my SWE friends said, you need to join the SWE again. And I recognized that my section had opportunities for outreach to the community and professional development. And what helped me with that was most of my outreach projects at that point had been mostly individual efforts. But with SWE, I had a whole network of people that could help me. And that was great because I got to do a lot of networking, meeting people who shared my same desires. I was also interested in professional development opportunities specific for women that weren't available. And I also wanted to mentor and advocate for other women and to show that it's possible to be that engineer. I, I got involved with SWE uh, in my first job at Boeing right out of college. Uh, Boeing encouraged us uh, to uh, encourage the women to get involved with uh, different organizations such as SWE. So SWE was my choice. I didn't hear too much about it in, in college, but when I was at Boeing, Boeing really, really encouraged us to go to the conferences and uh, learn a lot of, uh, take some of the coursework and learn a lot about uh, communication, which was great. And I went and I was blown away. I had, during my career, during the course of my career, I had gotten out of SWE because I was so focused on the minutia of what I was doing. And then last year, I realized that I needed to get back in touch with uh, people who uh, looked like me and were women, and I needed I needed a connection. And this was something that I knew that I could get at SWE. I needed to have the connection, the technical connection that came from women's perspectives, and and I knew that SWE would give that to me, and I got quite a bit out of it. Uh, it encouraged me to start the Women's Coalition Employee Resource Group here at Collins Aerospace, and we're doing great. Um, a lot of women are very nervous about it, but we're we're going to break that, and that's exactly the reason why I'm I'm starting this. You know, it's amazing that you mentioned that <laughs> there was a previous one of the presidents at AT and T. Her name is Cynt Marshall. She's just a force in the industry, but she, she says this thing, Hasu, H-A-S-U, 
it means hook a sister off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's just another way for saying, you know, wherever you're going, keep, keep pulling people along with you. That's right. Because one of the things we've noticed is based on affinity bias, people tend to pull up people who look like them. Yes. And many times that means that women of color get left out because there might not be someone who looks like them in the more senior ranks. That's right. So as much as possible, reaching back and pulling more women of color. And of course, um, extending that umbrella to cover people of other races and other genders as well, I think is, is one of the ways that we can keep pushing for more diversity and inclusion in our industries. Right. So it can be difficult as a working woman, especially one in a highly technical role like yourselves, Linda and Andrea, to find a healthy work-life balance or just find time for your interests. So what do you do to unwind and disconnect from your professional responsibilities? I get into nature. I try and disconnect from all things electronic by taking my 11-year-old daughter who is amazing. We go camping out at state parks. We go hiking, uh, kayaking, canoeing, uh, some parks that uh, there are some state parks that offer uh, classes out in nature. We are members of Outdoor Afro, which brings African-American people in general back into the woods. And, and it's not the cup of tea of a lot of people, but I feel like if we get out of our house and expose ourselves to all things that are that God gave us, then that's that's a, that's a great thing. It is for us. We are out there. It belongs to us too. So most definitely. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. And Linda, what about yourself? Just like Andrea, I too like to be in nature. I do photography, and I also grow fuchsias. So I spend a lot of my time in my garden, just taking pictures at the same time, propagating them to attract hummingbirds and bees to our backyard. The other major unwind for me is performing music. I've played clarinet since I was in elementary school with a few gaps for going to graduate school and maternity leave, but I still play. I play with four musical groups in the Seattle area, so that puts me at four rehearsals a week, but I really enjoy it. So that's how I find myself unwinding. After a hard day of work, I turn around and go back outside pack up a clarinet and then go play because I've immersed myself in a totally different world. And the art of the performance is very satisfying. It reminds me of an engineering interview. I'm showing my best stuff. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. You know, when I first um, spoke with these two ladies and they told me their interests, I was like, that is so white. <laughs> and then I beat myself up for being inappropriate. But I wanted to share some context of what I meant. <laughs> you know, many times people think of Black people in terms of stereotypes. And when you think of a Black person unwinding, the typical image that comes to you is cookouts and maybe sports. But there is more to the individual person than um, their cultural stereotype experiences. So while we do cookouts and other things, yeah, we love to nerd out sometimes or, you know, get into nature. And one of the interesting things Andrea said was she doesn't meet many people like us in, out there in the paths when she's hiking. This is true. So, <laughs> so that's a, an interesting. So keep exploring your hobbies or whatever interests you have and just refuse to be placed in any boxes. 
And one last um, thing, if you could give any one piece of advice to um, current engineers who would like to stay on the technical track, but don't quite think that um, they are qualified or that they can sustain that journey. And also, if you could give advice to those companies who has these young budding engineers, female Black women engineers in the industry, how can they support them? I first, the first uh, part of your question, uh, the advice I would give to young women, um, especially young women of color, is don't limit yourself by getting bogged down in the minutia of your job. This is your career. Be proactive and get the skill sets that are offered to you. Uh, apply for jobs that you're not fully qualified for. Uh, dream bigger. Uh, because I will tell you that many white men are not fully qualified for the positions that they apply for. So you do the same and keep applying for those positions that are one step above, one step above, one step above, go further. Uh, advice to the companies, redefine what your diversity training looks like. A one hour video once a year isn't working and never has. There are so many tools that are out there that are available. Joan Williams, who is a distinguished professor at law, uh, has a great has great work, and I feel uh, it will be well received for many reasons. Bravo to Andrea for mentioning that advice for both employers and for individuals, because diversity and inclusion, as Andrea said, is not a one-hour class that has to last 365 days of the year. Right. That's true. My parting words are be persistent in what you want out of life. Just like Andrea said, don't focus on the minutia. Look at the big picture. Where do you want to be physically, mentally, socially, spiritually, and technically? And that success is not a linear path. I find that goal setting has been very helpful in propelling my career. And I also recommend that to others who want to maintain the goals that they have. Another problem I found for women of color is finding mentors and also sponsors. And the difference between a mentor and a sponsor is a mentor can help you with your development, but a sponsor will advocate for you for opportunities. And the combination of those two will help in achieving goals. And also have a mindset of being set up for success. And if there's a setback, it's a setup for success. Go, Linda. Thank Great. you. That's absolutely I feel like true. I'm in church. <laughs> but that's excellent. It's, it's true. Yeah. I will tell you that I never learned that definition until this past uh, WE conference. I didn't know anything about a sponsor because we've these are very, very, that's a, that's very big, what she just said. Huge. And that's a shout out to Barbara Y, who's the chief diversity and officer for Intel, who hosted a women of color session, which was really well received and attended that spoke about the uh, mentors and sponsors and why you should have them both. All right. Well, thank you ladies so much for sharing your experiences, your perspectives. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with us this Black History Month and for providing inspiration and some really valuable insight for our current and future engineers and leaders. 
and especially for companies as well, to let them know how to support budding engineers so that they can be as successful as you both are in your industry. Again, I'm Brala De, lead for the African American Affinity Group of um, SWE, celebrating a black, a, a great Black History Month. I want to thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful day.